We're in Romans chapter 11. We're down to 24, but we're going to review the previous verses, especially verse 22. The apostle reminds us the Jews in the previous covenant or the old covenant, like a branch, were cut off for their continual rebellion and unbelief. God bore with them for generations. And as Stephen said to him before they stoned him, since you were always a stiff necked and resist the Holy Ghost. So we're looking at a long time, not some moment of failure or something. We're seeing a persistence for generation that they did not trust God and obey him and rebelled against him. And so finally, God had enough of this. They were given much and many privileges, promises, and blessings. And they spurned it and refused to obey the Lord the way he wanted them to. And they did it generation after generation, the leaders and the religious leaders. So he said, and he prophesied it in Isaiah and other, that he would go to the Gentiles and offer them. What did he offer the Hebrews that they never caught on to? It says in Hebrews, it says, they were given all these things, but they did not mix it. So the gospel was preached to them, but it was not mixed with faith. So ultimately, they just became self-righteous and thought all of their rituals and everything else would satisfy God, but that did not. He only likes those things if they are in God's will. And we'll see that with other things that people think they're pleasing God. Many times you go to the churches today, and and most of them are dead, and they're not of the Lord, but they love to sing and praise God and everything. And God's attitude is, he said, I hate their singing. He said, I hate their musical instruments. I hate their assemblies. He said, because with their lips, they honor me, but their heart's far from me. So he's not interested in singing and praising from a heart that's not right. People do that. They're just entertaining themselves. They make themselves feel good emotionally, and they think it's God. It has nothing to do with God. They go in there, and their heart's not right. Then their worship's false. And as far as God is concerned, he said the sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination. He doesn't, he's not interested in their prayers, their worship, or anything. They do it often to make themselves feel good and try to deal with their conscience. So we have to always get back to the foundation was under the law, he was trying to teach them the way of faith, that he had these rules for them, and he knew they couldn't keep all of them. He knew they would fail. He accepted that. Their spirit had not been born again, and he dealt with them in a lower level. But he expected some obedience, and he set limits to what he would do and what he would tolerate what he would not. But they seemed to lay that aside. And he tried to tell them over and over again that the sacrifice pointed to someone else because you cannot do these things yourself. You cannot redeem yourself. You cannot walk in God's will without help. And they just never caught on. And so they thought all their rituals and ceremonies would be sufficient. And it was not. And so finally God got tired of that, and when he went to the Gentiles, he offered a way of faith and grace, and they accepted it. But that's what he originally attended for Israel. He wanted to teach them and 
They didn't get past those lessons, basically. Only a few understood, like Abraham and Moses. With Moses, it's interesting. It says the children of Israel saw his acts, but it said Moses saw his ways. See, Moses knew God the way God intended him to know him in the covenant he was under, but the children of Israel did not. They saw acts and actions, but it didn't change their heart much. They constantly rebelled, and God constantly punished them and tried to get their attention, but ultimately he had enough. So he goes to the Gentiles, the nations. Now remember when he called Israel, he told them later, he said, I've chosen you out of all the tribes of the earth to give you promises and blessings. And he made sure they understood. He said, not because you're special, you're not favored. You ain't no better than anyone else. I have the right to be gracious and I've chose you to make an example to the world how you should live. So he didn't choose them because they were special. They were no different than anybody else. He chose them through Abraham to bring forth a covenant people. And and they misunderstood that. They were always arrogant. They always despised the Gentiles and thought they were better when they weren't living right themselves. And that's what provoked the Lord. Romans says earlier, uh, Paul, in other scripture, he told the Jews, the Gentiles blaspheme God because of you. See, when they see you're supposed to represent this holy God, and then they see your hypocrisy and everything, they don't want to have enough to do with your God. So God brought that indictment against them. These Gentiles don't even want to come to me because they look at you, and you're supposed to represent me. So Paul reminds us that God has kindness and yet severity. Now, some translations translate kindness to goodness. They're interchangeable. Uh, King James and New King James always use goodness. Other translations use kindness, but they basically mean the same the way they're using it. And so, he says, God is kindness, and yet he has severity, uh, harshness. He responds to how people act. People understand that. God is not always lovey-dovey. People think, oh, he loves and forgives. They're being false, and they're going to end up in hell because there's the wrath of God that most of humanity is going to experience. And they're going to be cursed by God, and their wrath is going to demand vengeance for holiness and for how they hurt his people. God doesn't forget it, and he's not going to. So he's not going to be demonstrating love to them. The kind of love he's talking about is a covenant love. Now, he has goodwill love for everybody. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, that they would turn. But if they believe not and do not obey the Son, the Scripture says the wrath of God remains on them. Is it left them? Nowadays, people say, well, now that Jesus comes, God's not angry at anybody. He's always angry at the wicked and the sinner. And Jesus Christ is the same. And they're going to experience the worst of God's wrath when the Lamb comes. It's called the wrath of the Lamb. See, you don't think of a lamb being like a lion. But when he judges as king and judge, he's going to act that way. And then when mercy passes, judgment comes into play. And then vengeance, paying them back for the evil and the evil they've done and marring God's universe and 
twisting and turning things. The gifts that God give, they turn against and they worship the gifts and the pleasures rather than the giver. So they're going to answer for a lot at Judgment Day. Those Jews fell. The passwords, when he finally brought forth the gospel through Christ and through the apostles, the new covenant, those Jews that fell or were cut off, they were cut off from the olive tree. But nothing happened to the olive tree. See, people forget this. And he grafted Gentiles in, the same olive tree. Some of his promises apply to Israel, and they will stand. has nothing to do with the individual wickedness. It's God's plans and purposes. The individuals can be cut off and added or added in. People forget. It says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Why? Because the true church only takes two people, and there will always be a, a people to the Lord under every circumstance, and hell can't prevail against it and stop it. But the members... And the branches can be cut off. And so the ship, God has determined with the captain Jesus, is going to heaven. And he's already laid the plans and everything. And you either stay on the ship with the captain or you jump overboard. But you individually can do what you want to do. But the ship's going to a certain harbor, and God's already planned that. So people forget that. Sometimes they apply what God's talking to the church as a whole, Israel, to every individual and doesn't apply. And sometimes the individuals, they think it applies to the whole church and it doesn't. So if you study scripture, begin to begin to see these things, that God has certain plans that man cannot interfere with. And he works around them and does this. But a lot of times the individual can rebel against the Lord, and he gets cut out of the covenant. Jesus said, if you don't bear fruit, my Father will cut you off. He's talking to the new covenant people. He's going to cut you off. And we're going to see that verse. That's what we're going to be talking about more. But he said, but you Gentiles, this Paul's saying, he went and he showed kindness and grace, and you were not even seeking God as a people and a nation. Uh-huh. So God went after you. It shows you the grace and extension of God's grace. He did like Nineveh. Jonah didn't like it because they weren't a covenant people, and they probably killed members of his family and stuff over the years. He hated the Ninevites, and he wanted God to destroy them, even after he gave the, and he, the message was no promise. I'll destroy you in 40 days. He didn't even give them a promise, which he gave Israel many. And then when Jonah complained about it, the Lord said, these people, he said, they can't tell their left hand from the right. He's talking about spiritually. He said, he's got lots of cattle and everything God was concerned. He said, should not I show mercy? So he did, and they responded. And none of them lasted another hundred years. They responded the way they knew. They weren't even told that God would show mercy on them. He just simply said, I'm going to destroy you in 40 days. And they got together, the leaders, and thought, hmm. They fasted, and they sought the Lord. They said, perhaps. See, the Jews had promises. God said, I'll punish you seven times, but if you repent, I'll take you back up. The Gentiles had no promise like that, no covenants. People misinterpret Paul when he says the Gentiles were without hope. 
It didn't mean without hope of eternal life or anything. A lot of people think that's what it means. It means they were without the hope of the covenants, the promises, the blessings. But God had Gentiles he favored, and he considered them righteous that were not a part of Israel. Job was one. It's believed he lived during Jacob and Joseph time, and they were in a covenant. And yet the Lord said there's nobody like Job. So that means he was more righteous. He was more righteous than Jacob, Joseph, any of them individually. See, but he kept his covenant with them and brought Israel forth. So he can still be gracious. And he looks at people individually and deals according to the light and the truth they have. And he doesn't expect some things from people who have not been given the truth, the full truth. Okay, so we need to understand that. A lot of that fallacy of ultra-predestination election from the Calvinistic liars, they make God to be a monster. They go into the lake of fire is where they're going to end up for misrepresenting God to people. As if he can be loving kindness and yet say, well, this person I'm going to send to hell before he's born. And they believe that garbage because they have demons. Even Abraham, when he was confronted about what was going to happen to Sodom, he told God, he said, you can't destroy the righteous with the wicked. And God understood that. He dealt with them and explained things to him. So people who think God is sovereign and arbitrary and he can just do what he will, and the scripture doesn't teach that. He has attributes that do not change. So he may judge sin and hold people guilty. And all have sinned and come short, but it doesn't mean that he holds that against them. He makes allowances after the fall. He makes allowances for their sinful nature and drawings and even told Cain, be good and, and don't let this beast overpower you. Well, he could have done it. He didn't do it. He killed his brother. He let the murdering spirit convince him and he was jealous of his righteous brother. But God warned him, said, lies at your door. He basically said, resist it. He was given the ability. So when you listen to some of these heretics, you think God's a demon himself and talks out of both sides of his mouth because they don't know scripture and God's given them over to lying spirits. That's the real reason. When you teach heresy, you'll be deceived. So then he tells the Gentiles, which the church and those, uh, the greasy grace people, the once saved all his people, sometimes don't like these scriptures because it don't comply with what they want to believe. But he said, he's been kind and good to you. He's grafted you in. And if you don't continue in his goodness, he said, you will be cut off. Uh, the context is, you will be cut off, not you may be cut off. People try to twist that and say, they were persuaded in Hebrews. Paul was persuaded that they would stay with him. So all the Calvinistic people say, Oh, that means they wouldn't fall away. It mean no such thing. Some had already fallen away. He said, Paul was persuaded you weren't going to fall away because you were still listening to him and getting the message when he heard that you were falling, some were falling away. That's all Paul meant. But he still warned them and told them what they had to do, and they did not have to comply. Their choice, their will was involved in the matter. Now, he speaks of the branches not the whole tree. 
the olive tree of covenant will always have a remnant, and God will fulfill his promises in his time. Some of them will be postponed and taken up. So as a whole, uh, he rejected the Jewish people for their rebellion. They're not chosen. If they're not serving Jesus Christ, they're on their way to hell like every Gentile is that will not come to the Lord. So a lot of people think, oh, we, no, uh, you think there is no fellowship of Jews and Christians. If you haven't fellowship with the Jew and you're a Christian, you're a false Christian. Because what, what accord does light have with darkness? What does God have to do with the devil? We'll find out later. Paul calls them the enemies of the gospel. But then he talks about the ones who came to the Lord. They're the elect. They're chosen. He wasn't talking about all the rebellious Jews. He already said they're enemies of the gospel. People just like to twist these scriptures to make it say, well, the Jews are saved under a special. No, they're not. They don't come to Jesus Christ. They're just as lost as a Gentile. So they're trying to apply certain situations that don't apply no more. Remember, after all the rebellions of Israel, and God told them to go in and take the enemy in the land, they murmured and complained and said, oh, they're giants and they'll kill our children. And then one day, God got tired of it after years and years. Uh, what did he say? He said, then you'll wander, and the ones you call your children, they'll go into the land, but you won't. And the next day, they changed their mind, but God did not change his. And they wandered for 40 years, and the only ones that went in later were those under 20 years of age. So by the time they went in, some of them were 60 years old. He had a whole new generation, but they missed it by one day because they changed their mind, but God did not change his. When the master rises up and shuts the door, it's too late. That's what happened to five foolish virgins. Once he shut the door, that was it. So that's God's right to be gracious. He says, I'll be gracious to whom I will, and I'll harden whom I will. But when he hardens, it's because people have persistently rebelled, annoyed him, and not done what he's want, and then he has a limit. So many people in hell have regrets. They missed it by one day. They rejected the gospel when it was given to them. Or when they knew it was there, the Bible says, and Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. They won't come to the truth, lest they be reproved. It don't say they can't come to. It says they won't, because they can. Because he said some did come. So, all of this is not fixed like the lying false teachers teach. God makes it plain. How can he say his loving kindness and just and just arbitrary do what he wants to do? He cannot do that. It's against his character and his attributes. He is the Lord under the old and new. He said, I'm the Lord that changes not. I don't change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no change. And he's God. He's the risen Christ now. He's one with the Father. He's the Word of God. That's how he enters people when they're born again. He told disciples, I'm with you. That's when he was right before he was going to be crucified. But he said, I shall be in you. He could not be in them while he was in his body. He was taken on the human form. He was limited. God limited the use of divinity. He understood that. 
but he willingly gave it up and it was hell. But then his glory was restored to him when he ascended into heaven and the full use of his Godhead. And so when a person's born again, it's Christ's spirit, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the Father. They enter him. That's who it is. He's one with the Godhead. So he makes it clear that you must continue in his kindness and goodness, or God will cut you off. So, so much for once saved, always saved, isn't it? To continue in God's goodness, see, he offers grace and faith, is to follow the Lord and bear fruit. And fruits of obedience, commandments, obeying the Lord, that's what it is. It's not an all very blind faith, I just believe. Well, a lot of people believe. Most of them that profess to be Christians believe, and they, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you. And they believed he was the Lord. They believed he was crucified. They believed he was their Savior, and they were working for him. And he said, I never knew you. So they don't check out what kind of belief that God's taught about. The devils believe, James says, and tremble. They know who Christ is. They knew who he was before the disciples did. When he cast demons at them, they'll cry out sometime, oh, we know you. You're the Holy One of Israel. Who was the Holy One of Israel? He was Jehovah. Have you come to torment us before the appropriate time? They were scared he was going to cast them in the hell right then. They didn't know all the rules. God didn't explain all the rules to them. He has an appointed time that he deals with his judgments. And has it with man. He has it with the demons. Uh-huh. But they believe he's God. They believe he's the Christ, but it ain't saving them. See? Because it's not just a mental belief like most false Christians have. It's something in the brain, but they don't live it out and they don't follow the Lord. And Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? So, as far as he's concerned, you do not follow and obey him. If you're not led of the Lord, you're not his. And if you were his, you're not his no more. You continually rebel and live in gross sin. The Bible says repent quickly. He ain't bearing with people for 30 and 40 years over the same thing. Paul said you want a heretic two times, you have nothing to do with him. Oh, they always have the conscience till they sear it. They'll always have things to show them right and wrong. And they could respond to it to some degree. And God would watch this. Because he says in both covenants, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they turn. And the same with the backslider, he said. He encouraged them to come back. But the wrath of God remains on them if they don't follow the Lord. And every idle word they speak, they're going to answer for it in the day of judgment. That's going to be justice and holiness, which Paul implied nobody wants to face Christ or God, without the grace of Jesus Christ. He says that we're to flee from the wrath to come. So he talked that is a horrible thing, but people don't want to hear that. But they're going to have to face it one day, whether they want to hear it or not. So he warns the Gentiles to continue in this grace and faith. Jesus saying the same thing. Abide in me as a branch and bear fruit. And if you don't, and it said God bears with them a while, and if you don't, he said, my father will cut you off and cast you aside as branches to be burned, he's telling them. But he's talking to those who are his. 
abide in the vine. That's what it means to continue in his goodness. He's offered grace and promises and everything we need. The scripture tells us his divine power has given to us all things that is needed for life and godliness here. And so he's given exceeding promises, so there's no excuse. He said, I'll give you what you need to overcome. But you have to use the weapons. You have to follow the Lord. You have to obey him as Lord. That's the condition. There is no greasy grace. There is no God is all, and it's all grace and faith. There's no such teaching in Scripture. Heretics teach that to excuse their sin. Grace is not to license sin and to excuse sin. It's to give power over sin. Remember, when Paul asked for the stake in the flesh to be removed, he sought the Lord three times, and when the Lord appeared to him, he told him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect. And we, He explained his grace is strength and ability, and it has to be used. He gives us the weapons, and we have to put it on. That's why we have so many conditions in the New Testament to do this and don't do that. It's not automatic. We have to put on. We have to stop this and do that. We have a will, and God does not alter the will. The old man and a new man, the will ultimately decides who's going to rule. But we've got an ability that sin does not rule over us. Now, a lot of people say we're under grace, but it's ruling over them, so they must not be under grace. Very plain and simple, but they don't want to see that. Oh, it's all God, and he understands. Well, we're going to find out at Judgment Day. Because many of these people that say, Lord, Lord, they're going to stand speechless. Because in a moment of time, they're going to know they were totally deceived, and they're going to be cast into the lake of fire that God has no concern for them. They're going to experience his wrath and his judgment. And he's tried to warn them against that continually, hasn't he? So he warns them to stay in the covenant, stay in the olive. You've been grafted in. And he's saying another interesting thing. As a whole, the covenant with the Jews has ceased, except for the elect and those who come and stayed with him. But he also says, though, when those who are cut off, if they don't remain in their unbelief and disobedience, they can be grafted in. So he's offering mercy even to them. He doesn't say it's final for the individual, but as far as the nation and the people, he has a set time, and we'll see this too. So he wants them to remain and come to the covenant of grace and faith. So his kindness and goodness, how do we remain in it? We trust him, we obey him, we're led of his spirit. We do his will. You see, it's not automatic. See, people want to say, it's all God. Well, they're liars. And they're going to find out they're liars. Uh Even the scripture, Titus says, they deny the Lord by their works. They're still denying him. And Jesus said, if you deny me, I'll deny you before God and the angels. And he said, if you forsake me, I will forsake you. That's a promise of God. That covenant still stands. And that's why you're cut off. And that's why Christians that once really knew the Lord 
Eventually they don't because the Lord cuts them off. They don't remain in the covenant. They don't do what they're supposed to do. And they've been given the power and the grace and the faith to do it. So in a sense, God is saying it's inexcusable. While we have the great promise, I read it often. It says, God will not allow us to be tempted above that we are able. That's Corinthians, I think it's 10, 13 or something. It said, and right before it, he says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. He said, if you think you're so spiritual, you're going to be set up because you got pride. And the devil's going to see to it. And you ain't going to be able to resist it. Because pride keeps you from God's grace. He resists the pride, the proud, and gives grace to the humble. So he said, but God will not allow you to suffer more than you're able or be tempted more, but will make an escape. So he's given that. But he will not make an escape to the Christian that falls and makes provision for the flesh and entertains sin. That scripture does not apply to him. He's applying to the one that stays with him and fights and resists the world, the flesh, and the devil. Not the one playing with sin. Not the one going out and, and thinks, oh, God will help me, or God, he won't keep you. And that's why we pray and say, lead us not into temptation. Those who sin and don't respond to him, he leads them into temptation. He allows the principles of the kingdom to work. He'll hide the truth from them. He'll allow the enemy to persuade them. See, there's a danger there. When he says, lead us not into temptation, he's telling the Christian, asking the Christian is saying, don't lead me into stuff that I shouldn't be in. If I'm walking in you, don't let me be deceived. Don't let me let, and he won't. Even Christ told Peter, pray lest you enter into temptation to fall. Well, he didn't pray and he fell, didn't he? So he didn't take the, if he had prayed and sought strength, he would not have failed as far as God was concerned. We're not talking about what God knows, the past, present. God dealing with us individually, and what he sees and doesn't see is none of our business, but we have will and responsibility, and we're held accountable for it, okay? So the Father, Jesus said, if you don't abide in me, the vine will cut you off. You're cut off from Christ's life. And many people, false shepherd, oh, you just put on the shelf. Oh, Jesus is my... Savior, but he's not my Lord. They've really fallen for that demonic lie. They will be tormented in hell for that later. They go find out he's your Savior and your Lord. He's not your Savior and not your Lord. See, by them saying he's not my Lord means I'm living my own life. But Jesus is still my Savior, and I have fire insurance. It's a lying doctrine of the devil. When the scriptures speak mainly of Jesus as Savior, there's only 20-some in the New Testament. There's almost 500 saying he's the Lord. What do you think's important to the Lord? He cannot be your Lord without being your Savior. You cannot be a believer and not be a disciple. See, they like to separate them. Well, we'll just lose rewards. No, you're going to lose your eternal soul in damnation. But see, people like that, they're looking for loopholes. They don't want the truth. They want the false shepherd to tickle their ear. They will not endure sound doctrine. That's where we're at now. They don't want sound teaching. It says they'll turn their ears away from the truth. They're responsible. 
they're more responsible than the teachers. The teachers just accommodate them. And the teachers don't get theirs. <laughs> but most people, without accept, they're deceived because they want to be deceived or they're living in sin. And they're not going to be able to blame, oh, the teacher didn't tell me that. God may have said, well, I hardened him. I didn't want you knowing the truth because you're fighting grace in my spirit. And the Father hides the spiritual things from the wicked. Says the wicked will never understand. See, people don't understand the consequences of resisting grace and God's offers to them. There are consequences to this, okay? So now we go to verse 24. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, so you're not in the Lord, you have a wild nation, a wild people, and you were grafted contrary to nature, you didn't really fit there, you weren't made for that, but somehow in his grace, he allowed it to happen. You could be grafted in, like you could do different apple trees, and they're still the same tree, they're just different ones, and they'd graft them in, and they take pretty good, people who know how to do it. He said, but you were grafted in contrary to a cultivated olive tree. Why? God had cultivated Israel for centuries and decades, and was still giving them promises, and at times protected them. He was showing them all these things, so they were tame compared to the Gentile nations. Okay, How much more, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So he's saying even the Jew that turned away and was cut off, it'd be easier to graft him back, because they know the law and the promises to a degree, and they would understand that if they forsook the Lord, they have to do, it'd be easy to put them back in because they often know many of the Lords. The Gentiles didn't know anything. The covenants and the promises and all that were for the nation of Israel, okay? So he states that natural branches could be easily grafted back in. He's speaking this way to the Christian Gentile who was getting a little arrogant against the Jewish people. And even though the some Jews came in, and of course they were the foundation of the church for six, seven years, they began to get a little puffed up. And Paul saying, don't do that. God grafted you in because of their failure. But you know better than they were, so if you don't continue, he'll cut you off too. And he can graft them back in as individuals. Now his purposes with the nation is different. That's on God's time schedule. 25, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. He's talking in the church to Christian Gentiles, so that you will not be wise in your own estimations or arrogant, that a partial hardening, notice he says partial, has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. So I want you Gentile Christians to be informed rightly so you'll be humble and not filled with pride and think you're superior like the Jews used to think. So he's saying, this is Paul, some Jews like me, we're still the elect. We walk with Christ. Disciples turned to the Lord. They were still a part of the old olive and they stayed in, went right into the new covenant. They weren't thrown out and then grafted in, they stayed in because they walked in the light they had. Okay. John the Baptist taught repentance and wash yourself up. 
and six of uh, Jesus' disciples were his. So when they accepted the Lord, they didn't have to confess their sins and tell them how bad they were. And any. They already believed in repentance, and they were waiting for the Savior to come on the scene. So they were prepared. But as a whole, most of the Jewish people and nation, uh, God has hardened for their rebellion, and they're still refusing God's will and plans. And they did it at the apostles' time and put them to death and persecuted them. And they still refuse. So God will show much mercy and grace to all nations. He decided, I'll not favor Israel anymore as a special people. I'm going to lay that covenant aside. Since they broke it, I'm going to go to the Gentile nations. And he told them centuries before, I didn't choose you because you were a special people. There was nothing in you that was any better than the other nations. Now he's proven it. Okay, And that was to provoke the Jews. It would upset them. Paul said it upsets them greatly that God's dealing with Gentiles. And they don't like to hear that, yeah, because we're the special chosen people, but they're dischosen individually. And the promises. Even Peter asked the Lord, when will we restore Israel? See, he was still thinking like a Jew. And he says, not for you to know the times and the seasons. He simply says, none of your business. And after Pentecost, 10 days later, and when the Spirit came, and he said, he'll reveal many things that I cannot tell you. They never asked him that question again because they knew Israel was not going to be restored for a thousand or hundreds of years. It wasn't going to be in their lifetime. They were going to be dealing with the holy nation, the church. They were the true Jews as far as God was concerned. So he don't ask that question. Let's take a break here.